0: Good morning. Uh, My name is Kenny Mossman, and uh, uh, I'm not a pastor by trade. My day job is I'm associate athletic director at the University of Oklahoma. Um, and uh, last night, this is no joke, we were driving up here last night, and on our way out of town, my wife Amy said, can you swing by CVS, and I said, sure, why? She said, we're going to be in the same hotel room tonight. I need to see what they've got in the way of earplugs. She seriously bought earplugs last night because I was snoring, so when she was here in the first service, when that came on, I made eye contact with her, um, so I was obviously at our football game yesterday against Nebraska, and Pastor Bob was my, my guest there, even though he was rooting for the wrong team, but, um, but you know, I just had a thought, uh, Bob, there were 85,000 people there yesterday. I mean, it was one of those iconic college football pictures. And this is so much better. So much better. Isn't it great to, isn't it great to be here today? Golly, I'm so thankful and, and grateful for the invitation to be here. Um, if you want to start finding in your Bible where we're going to be, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and and uh, people have, sometimes in the Old Testament can be a challenge. But think of it this way: Samuel kind of introduces us to the earthly kings, and then the, the first and second kings give us the account of the kings of the earthly kings of Israel, and then uh, Chronicles kind of is the history of those. So if you're in those six verses, six, six books, you're close to 2 Chronicles 16, and. Uh, you know the video is is funny, making light of our of our daily stresses, but man there 's a lot of it right now, isn't there? Um, I remember being at the uh, big twelve basketball tournament about eighteen months ago and and uh, we were I was at dinner uh, with uh, some other some colleagues and and we were notified that the tournament was going to be cancelled because of, of covid and little did we know that all this time later that would still be such an incredible time in our lives of, of, of death, and sadness, and long illnesses, and financial hardship, and really many changes to our way of life. And that on, a, on its own would be enough, wouldn't it? But then we have so many divisive issues in our country right now, wh- whether it's social justice or, or politics. And we have natural disasters like earthquakes. I, I was in Haiti a couple times with our student-athletes, and to see the recent images from Haiti has just been heartbreaking. And fires in California, and we live in the part of the world that, that we know what springtime is like here, right? And, and what about the things that don't make it onto TV? What about the stresses in our lives that, that maybe only a handful of people know, or maybe just you? And it's that thing that makes you lie awake at night. And makes you feel uncertain and scared. And that's what stress can do. So we're going to talk about stress today. And we're going to talk about a a guy who was really good, who didn't perform well under stress, and I think teaches us a really valuable uh, lesson. In Romans 15, verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. We can learn from the many good things that we see in Scripture, and we can also learn from the failures that we see in the people of Scripture, just like we learn from them in our own lives, and that's, that's what we're going to do today. So the man that we're going to talk about today, and I want to preach through this. I'm not going to read the, the whole section of Scripture to you. It's an unfolding story, so I want to just want to preach it as a narrative, and so don't read ahead. Don't, don't get ahead of the class here. Stay on the verse that we're on. Um, The man we're going to talk about is King Asa. He ruled the southern kingdom of Judah for 41 years. Boy, you talk about term limits, Uh, 41 years with the same leader. But that was a good thing because King Asa was a good man. He didn't come from a good family, but he was one of uh, of the 20 kings that, that ruled over Judah. He was one of the eight who was considered a good king. A man who tried to be obedient to God. And how good was he? It talks about him this way in 1 Kings 15. It says, Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. He also put away the male cult prostitutes uh, from the land and removed all the idols which his fathers had made. He also removed Maacah his mother, from being queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. Now that sounds like a guy I want to hang out with. And Asa would have been one of those guys in church that you would have loved. He would have been a leader. He would have been a man who stood for what was right. He would have been a pillar in the church, in the community. A a good man who was a good man who did not come from a good background. Uh, His father and his grandfather, both kings, were, were considered bad kings. So his upbringing was not to be exposed to the good things of God, but he changed course. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so Asa was a good man, and, and a man who the people would have, would have loved. And he get, he, he, we get to a point in his, um, in his leadership where things turn on him a little bit. And we find that in verse 1 of, the, of the, uh, chapter uh, 9 that we're going to look at today. And it says this, In the the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, king of Judah. Okay, what does that mean? He rules the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel is the northern kingdom. So Baasha is the king of Israel. Those two never got along, and they're not gonna get along now either. But, But this is gonna be a particularly stressful time for Baasha, or for Asa, for this reason. When we think of geography and distance, this is gonna happen very close to where he is. He's ruling in Jerusalem. This town, Ramah, that they're taking over is only six miles to the north. So the image that I used in the first service was, think of of the enemies of your church fortifying in maze, making their battle lines there, and then they're gonna progress and create difficulty for you. That would be a stressful time for Asa. That would get his attention. He would have to do things like thinking about moving the kingdom. There's there's no people coming in or out, it says. But what does that also mean? There's no supplies coming in or out. So this is a siege. And if you're a king, this is going to stress you out. And here's what will stress you out even more. Baasha is not a king in the normal sense of the kings that we know in the Old Testament. Most of the kings in the Old Testament ascend the throne through family lines. Not this one. He ascended the throne through a military coup. He had a military background. He murdered his predecessor and his family so that there could be no succession of that family. So now I want you to put yourself in Asa's shoes for a minute. Here he is with his enemy fortifying just a few miles away, and they're under the direction of a maniacal pagan king who thinks nothing of killing other kings. All right, do you get the picture? He's stressed. It's the kind of stress that we know today. So how's he going to react to this? Well, flip over. Keep your hand there in 16, but go over to chapter 14 in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and let's see what we might expect from Asa as a response because he's been in this position before. So here we go in chapter 14 and verse 9. This is another military episode in his career. Now Zerah... The Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Mereshah. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephatha at Mereshah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. If you don't have that prayer highlighted in your Bible, can I encourage you to do so? What a great prayer. What a great prayer of emptying himself. This is a king praying this prayer, emptying himself of his authority and laying it at the feet of God and saying, If you don't do this, it won't happen. It's a faithful prayer. From a godly man. But is it the prayer of a man who will always act that way? And you know what? Because he's sinful like you and me, he wrestles with consistency. And that's what we're going to see in these subsequent verses. Let's go to verse 2 back in chapter 16. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Baashah, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Who's the king of Aram? The king of Aram is the king of Syria. So, again, let's look at geography again. Southern kingdom of Judah northern kingdom of Israel, and to the northeast, Syria, the military power of the day, referred to in, this, in, in my version of the scripture as Aram. So what he has done is he has found the greatest military power in the region and probably in the world at that time, and is going to make a pact with them. And the pact is this. You go harass these people that are bothering me, they'll leave, and I'll have my kingdom and my peace of, peace of mind back. That's the deal that he's striking. It makes me think of Psalm 20, verse 7. I always hear the old Steve Green song when I, when I recite this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's what you would expect from Asa. But what did he do? He runs into the church, takes money, resources from the church. He doesn't seek out a priest to pray and he makes a deal with a pagan king. It's unimaginable. But that's what stress will do. Stress will make a normally reliable, righteous man entertain thoughts that are far from that. So there are three B's that I want us to concentrate on today. And, and, and I said in the first sermon that I was going to use the B attitudes, but somebody else had already taken that one. So that there are three B's. And the first one is we should be prayerful. And that's what I think he should have done when he went into the temple is be prayerful. And and the thing that I didn't know before I came here this morning was that I would see a couple different segments of the worship devoted to prayer. And it makes me think I don't need to spend as much time on this, but let me just say a couple things. If you talk to most Christians, they're going to tell you that the discipline that they fail in the most is prayer. And and I I think that happens for a couple reasons. I think it can be a little daunting to us sometimes sometimes. I think sometimes we lack the faith, quite honestly, that any, that's going to result in anything. And so we don't always pray like we should, but, but a couple of things come to mind. Do you remember when Christ was crucified and the veil gets torn, top to bottom, so only God could do it? Prior to that time, that veil could only be entered by the high priest who would represent the people in the Holy of Holies. The tearing of that veil means that we now have the high priest, Jesus, that we can go to directly. Do we think about that? Do we take advantage of that? Do we pray as though we have access to the creator of all? And that's what he has invited us to do. What did Jesus say when he went into the temple and he was so upset with the money changers, he turns over tables, he causes quite a scene, And he walks in there, and he says, my house shall be a house of Wednesday night meals together. That's not what he said. What did he say? He said, my house will be a house of prayer. I will challenge you, and not just you, but my church, the church of churches I serve, is that how we're known? And I think sometimes it's not. And I think what we're being called to do is when we come into this house, we need to be praying. Because as we're learning through this period of time in our lives, we can't rely on us, can we? We never could. But we're encountering things now that make us feel uncertain and scared. And he's using this time, you understand, to bring us back to him. And we have access to him. So we need to be a house of prayer. Hebrews, or I'm sorry, a couple others. Psalm 37, verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. That's what he wants. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We're frail, we're weak, and we have a God who cares for us, who's not indifferent to our suffering or our fear. And so Hebrews 4, 16 says, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Think about that. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help when? In our time of need. I wish we came equipped with rearview mirrors on our lives. And, and, and we do. We have memories. But we so quickly forget those instances where God has stepped into the gap for us. And when I think about my own life, I wasn't stay, saved until I was in my 30s. And when I think about all of the things that, that could have led to my demise up to that point when I was living really outside the Lord. And now I reflect on those and I see the stepping stones towards salvation that God was laying in my life. And I have to tell you, it overwhelms me. That There are times where I, just, I am so gripped by what God has done in my life that I just have to freeze what I'm doing for a moment to just try to imagine what has occurred. And it's at times like these when we're stressed out, when things are like they've never been before that we have, to, we have to reflect back, but we don't. Exodus 32, verse 8 says, They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And these were people who were freed from slavery. And they were led out into the wilderness and they were fed. And they were led by a pillar of fire. But they forgot. And I think... That's what we're seeing with Asa. I think the way that we stay connected with God and keep our memories sharp is we remain in prayer. We have to be in prayer. The second thing we have to do is we have to be in church. Asa goes to the right place. I mean, he he understands that he's got a major problem on his hands and where's the first place that he goes? He goes to the temple. He could have found a priest. He could have prayed with him. They could have called out to God to save them from this horrible situation. But instead he goes right past the high priest, grabs the money that he needs out of the temple, and goes off and strikes a deal with a pagan king. church is different right now. Numbers are down everywhere because some people shouldn't come to church right now. And and I've, and I've also heard talk about those who have drifted. And, and I know there are people who have come to church and they got out of the habit and they could come back now and and they just haven't. And in a way, that has helped us define the mission field, I think, a bit more. But it has also drawn us together, I believe, tighter as a group of believers. To be the church that was referred to in Acts chapter 2, when they they live for one another under the love of Christ. And so being in church now is different. It, It might mean instead of making sure that you are here by a certain time on Sunday morning, It means a lot more in the way of service now. It means that that person who can't come, you're going to minister to. It means that person who could use a meal, you'll take it. It means to that family that's lost a job, you're going to provide the gift cards. You're going to look for a way to maybe pull some money and pay a monthly mortgage. It's this time that we have got to be the church. And... and when I walk into this building, this, this is an amazingly beautiful church. I mean, what a wonderful facility. And yet, it's only here for one reason. To come in here and worship Almighty God, that our souls get recharged, that we will go out those doors and be the light that he's called us to be. Amen. That's what it means to be the church. And so, yes, come here, benefit from the myriad of resources that are available at this church. But as you use those things to stoke your own soul, understand it's so that you will be ignited for mission. And that we'll go be the church that God has called us to be. We have got to be the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do you see what that says? There are people in this church who have very important jobs. Pastor Bob has a huge job in, in shepherding this flock. And, and as I look across, and I've met so many people here, so many different gifts, it, it's it's really just a kaleidoscope of the way God has gifted people. From what I see here to the way I get treated when I arrive, and yet you're also part of that body. You're part of what it's talking about here in Ephesians. We all have a role, and don't underestimate yours. You're not just someone who comes here on Sunday mornings. You're someone who God has put in a position that he, would, that he would use you if you will avail yourself to him and be obedient to him. What a great calling. I get, I get to work in an athletic department, and frankly, because of that, I get to go preach a little bit. And I know it's not solely because of that, but it does give me a platform. And I'm grateful for that. But your platform may be one person who lives behind you, and that is equally important to what he's called me or the person next to you or somebody else to do. So we've got to be the church. All right, let's read on in our story. Go to verse 4. Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Aijon, Dan, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Baasha heard of it, he ceased fortifying, fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building. And with him, with them, he fortified Gibeah and Mezpah. Lots of old Jewish town names there. What does it mean? It means this plan that he put together worked. He buys off the king of Syria to come in and harass Israel, get him off of his northern border, and not only does he accomplish that, but he's able to go into that same area, take all the stuff that they had built there, make it his own, and he actually, those last two towns that are mentioned there are actually north of Ramah. He pushed his border north. By all accounts, this is a military victory. If you were living in the southern kingdom of Judah at this time, your thought would have been, Wow, home run Asa. Not only has he gotten the enemy off of our doorstep, but we're now a stronger country than we were before they got here. Because that's the way the world would look at this, right? Because those are the things that we get tempted to pay attention to, are the spoils of victory. But we're going to find out the third B here. And the third B is be in prayer, be in church, be discerning. Be able to see what God's purpose is. How do you do that? You do it with an open Bible on your lap and asking for the Lord to speak to you through his word. That's how it happens. So that the things that are important to him are the things that are important to us. How confusing is the world right now? Are you getting any mixed messages? What about with COVID vaccinations? What about with masking? Is that causing any dissension among us? You have one opinion on it one day and then you hear something the next day and it makes you question whether that firmly held opinion of yours is right or not. We're all walking that path, right? Could we all stand a little clarity right now? I would take a little. Right here. That's where the clarity is. And if we want to be distracted by the things that cause dissension among us, then this virus, which is part of a cursed world, is serving the exact purpose of the one who would curse us. And we have got to rise above that. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, But examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. The rest of Ephesians 4 that we talked about just a moment ago, as a result, we we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. This is going to tempt me to deviate into another sermon, and I promise I won't do it. But if we would make our sole focus in life to reach the lost with Jesus Christ, the rest of this stuff would quickly melt away. That's what we've been called to do. And if you want discernment, start with that and open the Scripture and see what God has to say. I love what it says about the Bereans in Acts. It says, they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what, if what Paul said was true. I think about these, these Bereans, a group of people, huddled around their scripture because they've got such an appetite to soak it up and they don't want it to be wrong. And they understand that life comes at you from a lot of different directions and they know that they've had a lot of teachers come through and Paul's one of them and they wanna make sure that what Paul says is right. So they gather around the scriptures together. It's Old Testament Bible study because nothing's more important to them than the truth of the word. And they know that if they have that, that they can discern what a confusing life will put in front of us. We have to be a discerning people. All right, let's move on in our story to verse seven. It seems like everything's gone really well up to now. Asa's got what looks like a victory, but here comes the prophet, so hold on. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Aram and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Haram has escaped out of your hand. Key word there, key, key phrase, verse seven, you have not relied on the Lord your God. In times of stress we'll be tempted to pick up the phone and rely on 25 other things. And the thing that he's called us to do is rely on him. And that's what Asa didn't do. And how much did it cost him? Look back in that verse. It says that he didn't deliver to him the king of Aram. Well, wait a minute. This battle isn't with the king of Aram. That was the guy we were in concert with. What this scripture is telling us is, that God's plan for Asa was to not only deliver Israel, but to deliver Syria. Can you imagine that truth crashing in on the king who thought he had just won an important battle? What do we forfeit when we don't submit our lives to Christ and seek him obediently in all of our circumstances? Things that look... Insurmountable to us are opportunities for his greatest moments. And we have got to stay locked on him so that we don't forfeit those things. So when we step out of our, when, we, when we're out of step with God, we miss some things. And that's why Jesus said to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And Asa did the exact opposite. Well, what's the fallout gonna be? Well, here's a little history lesson in verse eight. It says, "We're not the Ethiopians and the Lubum an immense army from very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Remember what we just read back in chapter 14? And the prophet is saying, wait a minute, don't you remember just two chapters ago? What God did for you against a million Ethiopians? You had the right plan. What happened? We can overcome odds if this is under God's plan. And think about Scripture. Think about Joshua and Caleb, David and Goliath, Gideon, and on and on and on, where the the odds seemed insurmountable. And as I said in the first service, the odds of my own salvation to me now seemed as though they were insurmountable. And don't get lost in the fact that your salvation is in and of itself a great miracle. Because we were separated from a holy, perfect, spotless God with no hope of being reconciled with him Those are long odds. And he sent a son to close that gap and to put us back with him again. Your own salvation overcomes the odds of what we should expect. So he had the right plan. He forfeited it, and we go to verse 9. And this is a verse that I cited the last time I was here. And it's such a great verse because it reminds us that God always has us in his purview. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And and the thing that I mentioned the last time I was here, the word that that really grips me there is completely his. He wants our total submission. And in verse 9, Hannah and I goes on and says, you acted foolishly. In this, indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. A 36-year reign will last only five more years, but in effect, this is the last we, were, we will hear of Asa. This, this great run as a king is over just like that because he stepped out of obedience and he didn't rely on God How many instances are there like that in Scripture? We have these great heroes, and and there are some great men and women in Scripture, aren't there? Don't you love—I mean, I think about Abraham. He says, just pick up and go, and I'm like, what possesses a guy to follow through on that? And yet we don't get too far into the story to where Abraham quits trusting God, and he turns into a liar. And we have Noah who builds a boat when it has never rained before. Floats on it for 40 days. He and his family survive a flood that wipes out everybody else, and the first thing he does is get drunk and naked. All through Scripture, there are are people like that. Like Asa. Asa's a good man. I think we'll see Asa in heaven. But like all these others in Scripture, they have a hiccup. They have a moment where they don't follow God like they should, and it, it leads to trouble. And you and I are susceptible. We live in that same sinful body. But ladies and gentlemen, we serve one who knew more stress than COVID could deliver if it lasted another 100 years. We serve the one who walked into that garden and knelt down before God Almighty, his Father, and was so stressed out by the sin burden of mankind that he would carry to the cross that from his brow came sweat droplets of blood. And at his crossroads of decision, when he could either be obedient and rely on the God that had had preserved him all this time or make a deal with the devil, he stayed obedient. What does that mean to you and me in a time of stress? It means this. Through his time of stress, he remained remained obedient. And three days later, he overcame death and walked out of that grave. And you and I today, because of that, have victory in Christ. So it's stressful, it is stressful. This is a difficult time. I, I, I don't remember another time like this. But it has driven me back to the Scripture. It has driven me back to my Savior. And you know what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And one day we'll look back on this, and you know what we'll do? We'll think about this for a moment, and then we'll turn back around to that throne, and we'll sing more praise for him carrying us through it. Amen? Let's pray.